Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. Dalton, you've got a Steam Deck. You've been playing with this thing for weeks now. It's time you told us about it. Is it time? I thought we could wait like another month or something. I thought that'd be enough. (laughs) So is it good? If you've seen any review of the Steam Deck, it's correct. It's weird. It's a strange device. It's so good and yet misses the mark in some ways. I think unfinished was the overarching term that I saw from most reviews. I think so. The software, for one, is, as far as I can tell, mostly done. It's certainly better than any Linux device that I've seen shipped, other than something that's running Android. It has a huge leap forward because it hasn't broken itself on an update yet, which is, um, that's a big accomplishment for someone shipping Linux the first time, (laughs) or even the second time for that matter. They're a completely new update mechanism. It has worked perfectly. I haven't noticed anything different. It upgraded its BIOS right when I got it out of the box, and that worked fine. So they've got that down pat. So the software experience is good. Just don't drop down into the KDE shell because that's where things start to fall apart, I'd say. Which model did you get, Dalton? Did you get the big, fat, biggest storage one? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't fancy taking it apart and putting in your own SSD then? No, not at all. And it's got the etched screen. It came, it actually shipped inside of its case with no other packaging in the box. So that's how much they think the case protects this thing. And I'd say, yeah, that's correct. It is big. The case is big. The Steam Deck is big. I mean, you don't know until you see this thing in person it's a heckin' chonka. It, it's so... It's a huge device. I don't know how else to describe it. Do you think that impedes your travel with it? Because... Yes. Yes, because for me, like the advantage of something like a Switch is that I can just slip it into my backpack next to my laptop and take it with me. But seems like probably not the case with the Steam Deck and you've got to plan around if you're trying to do like a one-bag travel. Yeah, no, this this can't come with me on the airplane. It just can't because I, I do one bag. I don't check bags. And it just takes up too much space. And it's one of those things where you don't just want it bouncing around in the bag because, you know, it feels durable, but not something that you just want bouncing around with all of your other stuff, like maybe an iPad or something like that. You'd be fine. Just throw it in. But with this, it's like, I don't know. That could get broken. Yeah. So you- as a travel device, not so good, not so portable. No, and that's that's kind of the problem. Have you just mostly used it at home out of fear slash impracticality of, of taking it anywhere? So here's the deal. I've got a Timbuktu bag that's designed for 13-inch laptops from several years ago. So it's big enough to fit the 16-inch MacBook Pro, the new ones. I have that... In the bag, I have an iPad Pro that's also a few years old in the bag. And then I stuff this thing in when I go to work occasionally. And what I end up with is a first really heavy bag over my shoulder. And I look fucking ridiculous. (laughs) I look like I'm packing a bomb or something because it's full. The bag is full. And it's not like I'm carrying a bunch of cables or anything. They all charge with USB-C, so I've got one charger and one cable for them all. 
Have you used it docked up as a desktop, like some people have talked about, at all? Have you thought about doing that? No. <laughs> no. So I accidentally did when I was at work. I plugged it into charge while I was off doing something else. When I came back, it was on, and the Steam interface was displaying across my ultra-wide monitor. <laughs> it's like, oh, that works. Which I was really surprised by, because it was plugged into what I thought was a Thunderbolt dock. But I guess it uses USB-C for some of the functions and Thunderbolt for some of the others, which is pretty neat. In terms of the actual performance though, you must have thrown a few games at it and generally are you pleased with that side of it? Does it does it hold its own? Yes, it does. So I've thrown Monster Hunter Rise, Outer Wilds, also a good game. You should play it if you have not yet. Power Wash Simulator I played a little bit of today just to see how it would work because that's not a terribly well optimized game, or at least it wasn't before. What else does this have? I don't know. I can't I, Okay, here's the problem. I can't turn it on because the fan is so loud it will disrupt the recording. (laughs) (laughs) Elephant in the room there, yeah. But uh, performance, it's good. The performance is fine. Most games have to run at medium-low settings. Some of them can get to high. Monster Hunter Rise is running at fairly low settings, but that's to get it to 60 FPS. Because weirdly enough, 30 FPS on this thing doesn't look smooth ever. It's got a frame rate limiter built in, to save battery life. But if you set it, it just feels choppy in a way that playing the same games on the Switch doesn't. Because those things never run at 60. It's a freaking Tegra from 2016 or whatever. And you brought up the battery there, so that was going to be my next question. If you pick up a game and play constantly, how much realistically, how much screen time do you get? So with any 3D game in my room, which is not like super well lit most of the time i get like three hours of battery life 3d games you're probably going to see three hours of battery life you can again there's built-in frame litter limiter there's tons of built-in tools to say battery limit tdp of stuff if you want to do that or turn down the settings of your game both of those are fine but if you're playing at reasonable settings at reasonable frame rates I've been getting three hours of battery life on 3D games. That doesn't seem too bad. I mean, that's what about what I'd expect from like running those games on an x86 Linux laptop. Yeah, absolutely. It's modest. I actually don't know how well the Switch performs despite having it for several years, because whenever I've played it, it's been docked. So <laughs> I can't make the comparison despite having the thing. Yeah, no, it's similar for me. My Switch lives in the dock under the TV. I very seldom use it in handheld mode. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that the KDE shell isn't great and you haven't tried docking it. You've not tried to see what else it can do. That would be the first thing I would do with it because I don't really play games. I'd be looking to install a different distro on there, see what Windows is like, maybe, and just do ridiculous stuff with it. But you haven't. The the question is why? Is it just good enough at games and you've got enough other hardware or what? Well, I certainly have enough other hardware between surfaces and tablets and stuff. It's just not necessary for me to be screwing with it like that. I'm sure it would be fine if I screwed with it. You know, the SD card slot is completely open. I could boot from it. But I don't really care to do that. I see it as a device to play games on, probably because of the input that it has, and not much else. And that's why the desktop mode, I, li- I know a lot of people are excited about it, but if I have to go into that, it means that something is wrong. So I, I kind of stay out of there. 
it's fine. It's a KDE shell. It's fine. You have to wait like 30 seconds for the touchpads to start responding. But, you know, par for the course, it's Linux, whatever. That doesn't sound good at all. No, it's probably just a software thing, and it'll probably be fixed soon. And to what extent does it having the immutable file system mean that it's not even worth the hassle? Discover is set up to get Flatpak, so I installed RetroArch from Flathub. By default, Steam presents you with an option to install Chrome, the real Google Chrome. Uh, I don't understand how they did that, but they do. And that works okay with Touch, just as you would expect it to on any other Touch Linux laptop. It's fine as a browser. Once you do install Flatpaks, though, you can add them to Steam using the desktop interface, and then they will also be in Steam in the full screen. It's not big picture mode, it's something new, the deck interface. And have you actually used any of these apps then that aren't just Steam and the games that you play through Steam? Marius Quebec wanted me to take a picture of his podcast talking about the Steam Deck in Chrome on it, and that's about all I've used that because I have other devices to browse the web with, and this one's just big and bulky and hard to hold with one hand at all. So that doesn't work very well. RetroArch works and runs fine. The controller works out of the box. Uh, you can play everything that RetroArch in a flat pack knows how to play, which is a sizable library of games that I have obtained legally from Source Media. Yeah, yeah, you've ripped it from the original cartridges, yeah. Yeah, and they're all just in your loft, Alton, just uh, boxed up and, and there in case anyone asks. Yeah. How recent can it get then in terms of emulation? I haven't checked anything too recent. I would assume it can run Dolphin for GameCube or Wii, but I guess I haven't tried that yet. Haven't really wanted to play any games from the Wii lately. So have you just stuck to your classic like uh, NES and Super Nintendo and stuff like that? Game Boy and stuff like that. It's a really good Game Boy, I mean. <laughs> 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 or a Game Boy Advance. Uh, it's really good for that. It's got a good D-pad and a good face buttons, but uh, I suppose that's underutilizing the system a bit. And there are better options for that, such as the Nintendo 3DS. I guess that's kind of where I sit then, is... I have this, and I feel like I have better options for all of the things that it can do. You know, if I want to play mostly mainline Nintendo titles from the Wii or GameCube, Nintendo is re-releasing those on the Switch, which is admittedly a lot more expensive. But for that money, you also sometimes get a better experience than the original, uh, like with the Mario Sunshine pack with Mario Galaxy and Sunshine and something else. That's just kind of a better way to play those games than this. Though not on the go, the controller for this is better. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Vulture. Go to getvulture.com slash LAD to sign up and get $150 free credit to use in 30 days. Vulture offers high-performance cloud compute, bare metal, storage, and managed Kubernetes in 24 locations all over the world. You can pick from 12 operating systems, including Windows, or you can bring your own ISO. Vulture's Marketplace offers one-click installation of more than 50 applications and operating systems, including instant Minecraft and other game servers, VoIP and VPN platforms, content management systems like WordPress, and cPanel. Also check out their optimized plans, CPU, memory, and storage optimized instances, featuring the latest AMD Epic chips. So go to getvulture.com slash LAD to get your $150 credit and support the show. That's G-E-T-V-U-L-T-R dot com slash L 
A-D. From what you're saying and from the way I've seen it, that's the problem here, is that it doesn't quite fulfill... I've been trying to rattle through my head as you're talking the different scenarios. Like if you're a minimalist, say, and you want to have at home a monitor and some kind of dock so you can make it your daily driver at home and then carry it with you, say, to a workplace where you have that as well, then okay, that's fine. But you're not going to get the utility of it in that context when you're traveling because the battery life is going to be short and the screen is small. But when you think about those classic portable gaming consoles, you said like the Game Boy Advance, it's also a big chunker that you can't put in your pocket. So it doesn't fulfill that either. It's a bit weird in terms of form factor. But the thing that is positive for me is that it is a functional Linux gaming portable device. And if you had said that quite some time ago, especially in light of what happened with the Steam machines when SteamOS was based on Debian and that wasn't that didn't really work out and they didn't even try and tackle a niche form factor, that for me is the most positive thing is that it seems to be a device that works in terms of the gaming side of things. You, you haven't said, oh, I can't game on it or it's not working. So that's positive and hopefully will trickle through into Linux gaming in general. But yeah, I'm, I personally have found it quite hard to get that excited about it. I was mildly excited when it was first announced, but not enough to buy one. And certainly not now would I think of buying one unless I managed to get one cheaply, for example. And you'll notice that both with this and with uh, the framework review, I am harder on these things than I probably would be if I was still in the situation that I was when I originally purchased them. But for both the Steam Deck and for the framework, you know, I was in a different work situation when I got them. So now I'm looking back on that with more of a critical eye. No regrets with a K. No, no regrets. <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, it's it's kind of similar. I would struggle to justify spending that amount of money on something that's just okay at playing games and just delivers an okay desktop experience. I feel like I would just end up traveling with a decent laptop that I can also play the games on and I can also do the desktop stuff on. And that, okay, it's not the form factor that the Steam Deck is, but you said it's not particularly portable anyway. So I feel like... I'd be better off just getting a slightly better laptop and a Bluetooth controller. I think that's probably the case. I mean, this it is a great technical achievement, and it is a beautiful device that is reasonably nice to hold. I have to recover from playing it for a day after I do, but that's with any controller I have to do that. It feels nice. It works well. It plays games well. Like, all the things it's designed to do, it's pretty damn good at. But... I feel like the design is a mismatch for my use case. I also feel like, and then this isn't technically possible at the moment, but if, for example, it could pull off eight hours battery life, which we know it couldn't at the moment, then we'd be looking at something. Do you see what I mean? If if I felt like I, and, and it was maybe a tiny bit more svelte, I guess, then it would be pushed in that direction just that bit more for me to be a bit more excited about. It just, it's coasting on a plane of hmm, okay that's what it feels like right i've got a radical idea for what valve should have done and could still potentially do what if it was a bit thinner with a smaller battery what that sounds ridiculous but 
they teamed up with a company like Anchor, let's say, and shipped you a portable power bank thing in the box with it and said, let's face it, you're only going to get one or two hours out of it at a time, but here's a big chunky battery, which is optional and you can take on the plane with you or in your bag with you. Maybe that's the solution. I think it would be too. The problem with the form factor is that it's all together. I mean, not only is it this flat section that is still about as thick as two switches, but it's also this raised section to make it sit better in your hands. But that's not just to make it sit better in your hands. It's also because they put stuff in there, right? Hmm. I feel like if it was a flat device, more like the Switch, though it has raised triggers in that case, but you could clip on something to make it feel better in your hands, it would fit better in places because you could have that clip-on thing that just bounces around in your bag because it's a piece of plastic, whereas the actual device itself can sit inside of a case and be reasonably protected. With this form factor, the case needs to encompass the entirety of this really thick device, which just doesn't work very well. But yeah, that's it. That, that you're reminding me of every phone I've ever bought it seems quite thin, but the first thing I do is put it in a case. <laughs> and that's it. If it starts chunky, it's just going to get chunkier because you're not going to want to chuck it in your bag and just let it scrape against everything and bash around. And presumably Valve knows that. And that's why that solid case is coming with it. Yeah. And that's kind of why I've ended up going with the laptop and a cheap Bluetooth controller solution, because the expensive bit, the laptop sits in a nice sleeve and the 20, 30 quid controller from Amazon. I, I don't care. It sits in the bottom of the bag. It might have some clothes around it, but ultimately if that gets broken, who cares? So ultimately I feel like this is an idea executed perfectly the idea just wasn't quite right. <laughs> <laughs> On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to linuxafterdark.net slash support for details. And for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Late Night Linux. And you'll occasionally get early releases as well. And if you want to get in contact with us, show at linuxafterdark.net. And let us know what you think of the very, very subtly changed artwork that is uh, a slightly different shade of purple to Linux downtime. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. Go to K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash L-A-D to sign up today. Collide sends employees important, timely and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac and Windows devices right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Collide helps deal with some of the many issues that are not solved by locking down devices, like instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end users how to store them securely, and convincing employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. You can try Collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices, free for 14 days, no credit card required. Try it out at collide.com slash L-A-D. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash L-A-D. I've got this weird problem and there seem to be loads of different solutions to it. And Chris, 
you have found and tried various solutions and I have not implemented any of them yet. My problem is this, in order to make the YouTube videos for these podcasts, I use a tool called Audio Visualizer Python, which is, let's face it, quite a shonky old Python script or set of scripts. It worked perfectly for me in Ubuntu 18.04 or Ubuntu 18.04. When I upgraded to 20.04, it stopped working. 22.04 has now come out. And so I've got this VM of 18.04, which is working perfectly well, but that is not a long-term solution. And that's where you tried to solve this problem, Chris, and I don't think you fully managed it. So I've just started a new job, which is supporting a HPC cluster. And a lot of that is Python. So this is why when you threw it down and said, oh, let's see if we can fix this. I had a look because it's becoming more and more familiar to me. And it's a very, very common scenario where a piece of software written around Python is published on GitHub and never updated. And then people start to rely on it or, or find it and say, oh, this does exactly what I want. But obviously Python moves. I mean, in the worst case scenario, you've got lots of stuff with Python 2. So that's going to be a real nightmare. And people are still clinging on to it, even though it's time to move on. In this case, it's Python 3. So that's a good start. But it uses uh, PyQt libraries. And the reason it broke is because PyQt4 was deprecated in 2004. So the first thing I looked at was whether PyQt5, which is in 2004 and 2204, would work. And the problem is, is that you can fix the dependencies, but then you get a video without sound, <laughs> which is not great. So there was a, a fork, which I tried, and that didn't work. There was a more up-to-date branch on GitHub, which Joe tried, and it just crashed all the time. So the closest fix to this that I found is to use something like DistroBox, which I've become a big fan of. So DistroBox loads a Podman or Docker container. And what you can do is just quickly spin one up and it drops you in your familiar shell. So your home directory is still there. You can still interact with files. It's very quick. An Ubuntu container is 30 megabytes compressed. It expands up to about 75 megabytes. And by the time I'd put all the dependencies for this particular bunch of scripts, it was only half a gigabyte. And I was able to base it on an 1804 container because we know that it works in that. Once I'd put all of the dependencies in, then I had a half a gig little container that I could just enter, run the script, and it worked fine. And that is kind of frozen in time and will work and it does work graphically it's it's the same sort of thing as toolboxes when we did the silver boot trial so for me i find that more efficient than a vm because a vm is going to be six to seven gigabytes even if you do a minimal install with a gui which is going to expect so it's sort of solvable but it's difficult because i also did say to you joe why don't we try and use a different tool and you were like you don't know me at all how dare you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mr black wallpaper xfce i'm not changing change Ch ch i don't know what's this word change that you're using <laughs> but i was thinking about it as well and you've got a point because it would change the the brand identity of the podcast videos which is kind of familiar to people and yeah you might want to do that but you would be doing that as a conscious choice not as a 
enforced choice. And really, these Python scripts tie together lots of visualization. As I say, in my new job, HPC stuff, a lot of the time is visualizing through Python. So it's, it would all be achievable, but you don't want to be writing it yourself either. So to say that it's not fixable, I think this is your best choice. Like once you've set up DistroBox with the Podman backing fully, and you've linked it to the systemd unit, which speeds it up a bit, you can enter that in one second, run your command, and you don't even have to enter then run the command. There is a syntax where you could alias it so that when you run that Python script, it knows to enter into DistroBox and run it from there and bring up the window for you to generate your video. So it's probably the best way that you're going to solve this problem aside from a VM. Isn't this exactly what snaps were for? Just package your old ass software inside of this package. It'll have all of its old dependencies in it and it'll be fine because it's apart from the rest of your system. Yeah, but it would take the time to make a cup of tea to load it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. That's true. And also another way to achieve this would be another thing that we use in my job is a singularity container, which is a bit like a Docker container, but more portable and has less permissions. And that could then just become a container file that could be moved around and invoked just for this program. And it just, it stays as it is. And for this particular application, that's not necessarily a security risk, really. You're, it's sitting on your local machine to serve one particular function in a way that you might have a specific machine that you do it for, but it's just much, much quicker. This is the problem. And as I say, in my job, we see it a lot. If you dump something on GitHub and then it's just there and then people come to use it, not everyone that's going to come to use it is going to want to fix the dependencies and keep it moving with the distribution's progress. And so then, you know, I, I welcome the different ways you can do it, including snaps, <laughs> despite my, my jokes. That is one way to get around that because I can't see the last commit is five years ago on this repository. If you open an issue, I mean, other people in your position, yeah, there are forks and and branches that are further ahead, but it's a bit of a lost cause, you know, unless you have the skill to fix it by yourself. Or I just stick with what I've been doing and just keep this VM around. Once 18.04 goes out of support, just cut it off from the network and then just pass a flash drive through to it with the files to get them in and out of it. That's probably what I'm going to end up having to do, I think. Yeah. The reason I like the DistroBox uh, solution is because you don't have that pass-through element either. You can just dump the output into your home directory and the dependencies are met within DistroBox, but you still have access to your underlying file system and you can spit files out to it if you want to. Mm, you might have convinced me, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> right, well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I'm really critical about my recent purchases. <laughs> <laughs> See you later.